Today is our final dangerous prayer. Take a great big sigh of relief. This one is, is, is more of a collective prayer, I think. This, this is one that we pray together as a church. Yes, we do. And the prayer is, Lord, send revival. Amen. Certainly a prayer that I personally have prayed many, many times. And it's a prayer that I've heard prayed many, many times. You know what? This one is particularly dangerous, as we will see. I want to start by, by defining terms so we're all on the same page. What, what do we mean by this word, revival? Well, a bit of linguistics, if you like. It actually comes from, from French or, or actually from Latin. And it's a combination of the prefix re and the French verb vivre or the Latin verb vivere. Sorry to remind you of Latin lessons, anyone who has taught it in that way. Now, the vivre is, is the verb to live. And it's the verb from which we get words like vital and vivacious. And of course, the prefix re means, means bring it back. It means it wants Again, just as it was before. And so literally put those two together and literally the word revival means to bring back to life. It means bring the life back. It means make it strong and active and alive once again. My definition of revival would be this and you might have a little handout. Feel free to fill in the gaps if that pleases you. My definition of revival is this. It's a supernatural, pause for effect, supernatural, sovereign, pause for effect, outpouring of the Holy Spirit that breathes radical new life into his people. Revival occurs essentially when the Holy Spirit brings back to life supernaturally what the devil has put to death. And this, of course, fits, fits perfectly with our, with our call as believers, with our mandate, Isaiah 61, Luke chapter 4, which is as God's people to bring light where there is darkness, to bring hope where there is despair, to bring healing where there is sickness, to bring spiritual riches where there is poverty, and to bring freedom where there is Bondage revival occurs when the Holy Spirit brings back to life that which the devil has put to death. A little quote for you, Arthur Wallace, who wrote quite a bit on revival. This is taken from his book, I believe, In the Day of Thy Power. And he said this, Numerous writings confirm that revival is the divine intervention in the normal course of spiritual things. It is God revealing himself to man in awesome holiness and irresistible power. It is such a manifest working of God that human personalities are overshadowed and human programs abandoned. It is man retiring into the background because God has taken the field. It is the Lord working in extraordinary power on saint and sinner. To which I would say is, is there anyone else who reckons that we could do with a little bit more of that? Are the commonly 
use words would be the word renewal, the word awakening, and the word outpouring. Renewal is God making things new. Awakening is God waking us up. And outpouring is God pouring his spirit out. Now, now throughout history, the church has prayed for revival. We see it, we see it in scripture. Isaiah 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Isaiah 52, verse 1. Awake, awake, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garment of splendor. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Free yourself from the chains on your neck. One of the most famous pictures of all, Ezekiel chapter 37, which is with Ezekiel seeing this vision of a valley of dry bones. Verse 9, prophesy to the breath, the Lord says. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath. Of course, breath is, is the Holy Spirit. Come, ruach, from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life, stood up on their feet, a vast army. Ezekiel seeing a picture, a vision there of a revived nation. So we see it throughout scripture. We also see it throughout church history. From Evan Roberts, he of the Welsh revival fame, his, his well-known prayer, Lord, bend me. That's a dangerous prayer right there. We, we see it often in the words of the hymn writers. Here's a couple I found. Oh, breath of life, come sweeping through us. Revive thy church with life and power. Oh, breath of life, come cleanse, renew us, and fit your church to meet this hour. Wow, if ever there was an apt verse in a hymn, that was it. And another one, revive your church, O oh Lord, disturb the sleep of death. Give life to smoldering embers now by your almighty breath. Don't you just love that? Of course, in modern days, we have the song, we may well sneak preview sing later by Matt, Re uh, Matt Redman, which goes, send revival. That's a good bit. Start with me. Start with me. And you know what? The prayer for revival is an acknowledgement it's an acknowledgement that there must be more. It's an acknowledgement that we need what he can do, having seen the feeble inadequacy of what we can do, I speak for myself. And it's, a, it's an instinctive knowing that when the wind blows, things are going to be turned upside down and put back in place the right way up. There's much we could say about revival. I've got about 25 minutes. And what I've tried to do throughout this series is to look just beneath the surface of each of these dangerous prayers to, to ask what is it that we are really praying for? What is it that makes this prayer dangerous? Therefore, well, worth praying. Today I've got Two thoughts, two expanded thoughts, dare I say. They, they do overlap a little bit. 
And the first one is this. When we, when we are praying or when we pray, Lord, send revival, we are asking God to create an environment among us where he can move freely and unhindered. I love that. I'm going to read that again. We are asking God to create an environment among us where he can move freely, unhindered, unrestricted. Our question, therefore, as we pray this prayer is, are we willing to cultivate an environment that will allow God to move? You know what? This makes the prayer dangerous because it may well mean as we pray that prayer, that God does indeed have to turn a few things upside down. It may mean that a few clay jars may have to be broken. If you remember the Gideon story. It will almost certainly mean that the spiritual temperature will have to rise considerably. And when it gets hot, guess what happens? Some things get burnt. Are we... Are we willing to cultivate an environment that will allow God to move freely and unhindered? Let's talk for a little bit about, about what that environment looks like. What do we need to, to cultivate? What, what conditions, what atmosphere must we endeavor to create? What, what weeds need to be plucked out so that God can move? And I'd say there are three characteristics that God is looking for in his church. And they are, number one, surrender. Number two, holiness. And number three, unity. Now, before I read that list, you were going, well, this is going to be okay. But now you've read that list, you're going, bring it on. This is the good stuff, right? I'm not sure you're convinced. Now let's go through those three just quickly. Number one is surrender. Three verses, uh, all from the Passion Version because it kind of just says it so nicely. So this is Psalm 72, verse 6. Your favor will fall like rain upon our surrendered lives, like showers reviving the earth. Proverbs 19, 23. When you live a life of abandoned love, surrendered before the awe of God, here's what you'll experience. Abundant life, revival, continual protection, complete satisfaction. Finally, Romans 12, verse 1. This is a familiar verse, probably. says, beloved friends, what should our proper response to God be? Our proper response to God's marvelous mercies. To surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices. Live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. You know, surrendered means our hearts laid bare. It means our agendas laid down. It means our personal preferences potentially sacrificed. It means that our default position is on our knees, even on our faces. It means that we present ourselves before him 
as broken vessels, abandoned in worship, humbly and obediently placed in his hands. Here's the line. There is no limit to what God can do through a totally surrendered heart. Jumps into my spirit as I say that, a, a, a flip to that, a corollary of that is there is no limit to what God can do in a totally surrendered church. Well, I'd say this, until, until the Lord is truly on the throne, we're just not ready for revival. You see, revival does not come through perfectionism or professionalism. Revival doesn't come through great programs or, or by running the right activities. Revival comes from our total and absolute surrender. In our kingdom culture around here, which I, which I will refer to a couple of times, it's on the wall there, that's expressed as radical responsiveness. God says, jump, and we ask how high. He says, down, and we say, how low. Hebrews 12, 28, since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe. In the next verse, for our God, holy, devouring fire. So when we pray, Lord, send revival, we're first of all praying, Lord, bring me to my knees. And that, folks, is a little bit of a dangerous prayer. Number two, uh, the second characteristic that God is looking for in his church is holiness. Joshua 3, verse 5, then Joshua told the people, this is as they were preparing themselves for all the amazing things that were going to happen there in the first few uh, chapters in Joshua. Joshua told people, purify yourselves. Some verses say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do great wonders among you. This sets a biblical standard. This gives us the order in which things are to naturally, supernaturally, spiritually proceed. Number one, first of all, consecration. And then the move of God. Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Hebrews 12, verse 14, 15. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. The Lord. If we want everyone to see the Lord, which we do, first key is holiness. Hebrews 12 goes on, verse 15, say, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And this principle is why historically, most revivals have started with the Lord sweeping through the congregation with a spirit of repentance. And when we pray, send revival, we're really praying, Lord, arrest your people 
with the spirit of holiness. We're really praying, Lord, purify my heart. Lord, renew my mind. Lord, clean our house until we're ready for your glory. If you are asking for revival, you are praying for holiness. And again, referring to our kingdom culture statement, that is represented by the fear, fear of the Lord. And the characteristic number three is unity. Uh, famous verse, Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Amen. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. This is a really, really deep and powerful psalm. What it tells us is there is a very, very strong connection between three things, between unity, between the anointing, which is depicted here by the oil and by the dew. So unity, anointing, blessing. Those are intricately tied and bound together in the kingdom. So if there's a strong connection between those three, we, we can extrapolate that to say that surely then is the place where the Holy Spirit can move freely and unhindered as we desire. Do you know what? It comes down to this. How fiercely are we prepared to guard unity? Or how casually will we fritter it away? You see, when we pray, send revival, we're actually praying, Lord, would you remove from this house anything that is bringing disunity? We're praying, Lord, would you remove from this house any sin that defiles anything unclean or unholy? We're actually praying, Lord, would you remove from this house any resistance to your will and to your purposes? Again, our kingdom culture listed there on the wall, God cannot and will not move amongst a negative and judgmental people. First two values, positively positive, always full of grace. God, God will not move amongst a, a resistant people. Kingdom culture value, radically responsive. We're not, we're not moving amongst a people who insist on doing it their own way because we're called to be naturally supernatural. God cannot and will not move amongst an unholy people. It's the fear of the Lord. He will not move amongst an unexpectant, faithless people. That's the spirit of faith. However, the flip to that is the beauty of unity. A place that is always positively positive and always full of grace. That is the place that the Lord commands blessing. 
that is a soil that is richly fertile for the move of God. Flip again, it is the beauty of that radical responsiveness. People wide open and soft-hearted and fully yielded. How, how quick are we to run to him? As I've said many times, my dream in this church is, is an altar, as it were, full of people, literally metaphorically, on their knees, on their faces, worshipping the Lord our God, saying, God, what are you calling? Lord, what are you doing? What are you asking for me, of me, because I am all yours? And then thirdly, the beauty of holiness. Found where the fear of the Lord burns bright and strong. Where the fear of offending the heart of God far exceeds the temporary pleasures of sin. Now, holiness is a beautiful and compelling place to which saint and sinner are attracted in equal measure. He pull, pull all that together. What, what did I say? When we pray, Lord, send revival, what we're asking God is to create, to cultivate, to grow an environment, the conditions, the atmosphere, the soil where he can move unhindered and freely. Do you know what? This is a really important little three statements. Number one, we cannot make it rain. Number two, we cannot make the harvest grow. Both of those are supernatural things in God's hands. But number three, we can do. We can prepare the soil for harvest. We can prepare the soil so it's ready when the rain falls. You see, revival will not come through hard work. It will not come through good intentions. It will not come because we want it more than the next person. It will come because God finds an irresistible environment. I wanted to go to John 4, 23, 24, where it talks about us worshipping in spirit and truth. The King James says, the Father seeketh such worship him. This idea that God is on the lookout. Where can I find a people who will truly, deeply, properly worship me in spirit and truth? Where can I find a people who are united, who are, who are holy, who are surrendered, who are on their faces? Where can I find a people who are worshiping me in spirit and in truth? Because that for me, says Lord, is an irresistible environment. So if you are unsurrendered, if you are disunited, if there is impurity in the house, this is a dangerous prayer because you are saying, God, let your fire fall and burn away anything that is not of you. Amen. Number two. Okay. When you pray, send revival, you are telling the Lord, that you have counted the cost and you're prepared to pay the price. Revival is a glorious thing. It's powerful. 
It's life-changing by definition. It is sorely needed, but it does not come without cost. You see, the, the prayer for revival is not just a nice and casual and wistful prayer that says, wouldn't it be lovely if everything around here was just 10% better? The true prayer for revival is heart-wrenching. It's knee-pad wearing. It's a prayer of desperation. Lord, we need you on your terms and at any cost because there will be a price to pay. What will it cost? The seven quick thoughts I'm going to fly through this morning. Number one, when you pray, send revival, you are inviting God to turn things upside down, things that you might already like, quite like just the way they are right now. The picture is when you, when you invite the wind, things are going to be rearranged. Have you ever tried sitting in the park with a pile of loose papers? When the wind blows, things are arranged and there's not much you can do about it. You may well be chasing down the pathway trying to get the last sheets. Are you prepared to let go? And are you prepared to trust that God knows what he's doing? Number one, we've got to be prepared that God will turn things upside down. Number two, when you pray, send revival, you are asking God for a deep conviction that will be uncomfortable. As we read earlier, God is a consuming fire. You are inviting the spirit of holiness into your house. Deep conviction. Number three, when you pray, Lord, send revival, are you prepared to embrace the mess? You know, when revival comes and if we study historical revival, you will have no control over who walks into the room. We pray, God, send them in. God, bring them in. We don't just, just bring them in. Just bring the lost in. Just stop for a minute. Are you thinking what you're praying for here? Because revival will draw hurting people and broken people. Revival will draw difficult people. No, I know there are no difficult people in this room. How are you going to cope when someone difficult comes in the room? You know, we're all good Christians in here. The theory is great. Send them in, send them in. The reality will be difficult. You'll be uncomfortable. I'd even be a little bit controversial. And your church will start to look less and less like you. Again, great in theory, not quite so much fun in practice. Things could get just a little bit messy. Number four, a bit of overlap on some of these, but we're asking God to dramatically increase the spiritual temperature. As I've always already implied, when it is hot, things get burnt. You know, as, as the Laodiceans found out, lukewarm won't cut it. Wheat and chaff will have to be separated. Attitudes will be exposed. 
you will have decisions to make as that spiritual temperature increases. Number five, there's only seven. We're nearly there. Relax in a minute. Number five, it is going to have to be on his terms and not yours. Again, we all can say that. It's easy to say that from the pulpit with you guys cheering me on. But the reality is a lot more difficult. You see, when revival comes, what matters is going to change. And the Lord gets to choose. That means laying down agendas, projects, laying our preferences on the altar, unsure of what the flames will leave behind. Number six, when we ask the Lord to send revival, we've got to be prepared for this fact. With the attention will almost inevitably come criticism. Any students of historical revival will be able to tell you all about that. You will get opposition. You will receive persecution. You may be ridiculed. Opposition may well come from influential sources, and it will hurt. Now, revival is joyful, but it is a long way from being painless. Just going through these really quickly. Number seven, finally, kind of pull them all together. You must be prepared to be brought to your knees. The way up in the kingdom is always down. There will be no revival without great humility. And as soon as pride gets in, history shows it will all come crashing So, then revival is a very dangerous prayer. Question becomes, is your heart ready for all of that? Essentially, the prayer could be expressed like this. Lord, would you do all you need to do in me so in time you can do all you want to do through me. Otherwise, the cost would prove to be too much. Nearly done. Reminds me of the parable of the pearl of great price. Remember that one? Matthew 13, verse 45. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. The question is, what are you prepared to sell in pursuit of the price? What are you prepared to sacrifice for the cause of Christ or for the move of the Holy Spirit? Because like that pearl, it won't come cheap. It will cost you more than your flesh wants to pay. But the prize won't. The prize is that pearl. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to put this slap bang into the middle of our context. It has not escaped my attention that we are on the way out of a 20-month global pandemic. Anyone miss that? And here am I advocating for a prayer that will turn things upside down again. 
I can understand it if you are wary of praying that prayer. To be honest, I'm a little bit wary of praying that prayer right now. Actually, I'm planning to unpick a little bit of that unwariness in the next season series that will be coming up in a few weeks. What I will say is I am confident that God is going to take us again to the place where we are ready to pray that dangerous prayer. Yes, it is a dangerous prayer. It comes at a cost, but it is a thrilling prayer. My hope is that it never becomes an empty, kind of faithless, vainly repeated prayer, but instead is the genuine prayer straight from the heart of God's church. Lord, would you revive us? Lord, would you do what only you can do? Lord, would you breathe your breath upon us again? Lord, would these dry bones come to life? Even if it means turning everything upside down, Lord, would you fulfill your gospel mandate in us and through us? So today I'm going to invite you to pray, Lord, send revival. And I kind of thought about this. And I, perhaps, perhaps for you, it's a, it's a, and I can't wait, let me, Adam, bring it on kind of prayer. How can I get, will he shut up so I can get to the front and pray this prayer? That may be you. I've seen one of those already. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a move me to a place where I'm ready again to pray that prayer. That may well be you. I'm trying to speak this from my pastoral heart here. It may well be that for you today, this prayer will be prayed in faith through clenched teeth and hiding behind the sofa. But whichever of those three it is, let's be bold. Let's pray that prayer today and let's invite God, the Holy Spirit, to move a fresh in his church.